can do a lot on climate change because we perceive climate change at the sensorial level. So we realize that climate change is occurring. We see climate change. We perceive year after year, and we know that it is happening. We need to perceive that we are far from sustainable development as we perceive that we are far from a climate equilibrium. Hello and welcome to the Life of Cheric podcast, a window on science from the European Sea Science Infrastructure for Biodiversity and Ecosystem Research. I'm Laura Cacciagli, Science Communication Specialist, and I'm pleased to join you today from the offices of Life of Cheric Service Center in Lecce. Great to have your company again in 2024. Today, we return to the University of Salento for our fourth and final interview with Professor of Ecology Alberto Bassett, this time looking at biodiversity responses, human well-being and climate change. How are you, Alberto? Welcome back to the studio. Thank you so much, Laura. It's always a pleasure to be with you in the studio for uh, this very interesting issue on biodiversity. Biodiversity loss and climate change are both having profound impacts on society around the world. In order to tackle these challenges, it's important to understand how they relate to each other. How does loss of biodiversity affect climate change and vice versa? Well, uh, the issue is a big issue. So what, what we can say in general is that uh, climate change uh, uh, is coming from uh, a component of human activity. And then it's uh, uh, basically affecting a lot of things uh, of uh, both climate and uh, functioning of all organisms. So what, what is the influence of climate on us is clear. So we are perceiving uh, global warming, we are perceiving uh, a, a, an increase in extreme event, uh, we are perceiving uh, a change in, uh, in rainfall, we are not perceiving yet, and that is uh, a very good thing, but uh, we need to consider that uh, we have to start uh, organize our community to uh, sea level rise. Sea level rise is uh, still uh, limited to a few centimeters, uh, but uh, uh, it could change a lot uh, our life because uh, 70% of human population is on the coast, and uh, uh, most of this 70% is, is an area that could be affected by sea level rise. And some uh, extremely important towns are going to be affected. The number of archipelagos are going to be affected. So that is something we need to take into consideration. Then uh, <coughs> climate change is affecting biodiversity. Uh, we don't know yet uh, to what extent. Uh, we don't know yet... Uh, too much, uh, even because uh, uh, climate change is simply adding uh, impact uh, on uh, what uh, humans are already doing uh, by habitat loss, uh, by it, uh, uh, forest cutting, by polluting uh, uh, our systems, our earth. So uh, it's, it's an additional component. Uh, the difference uh, uh, of 
climate change with respect to, to, to the other activity, which are more related to human activity, is that uh, all other impacts that we are having on the ecosystem are reversible. So if we stop uh, creating impact, uh, then the nature is coming back. Uh, climate change uh, is not reversible. Uh, climate change is going to, to last uh, we don't know for how long, but surely for uh, many, many decades of years, so probably hundreds of years. So that is something that could uh, be reversible if we actually will be able not to reach uh, carbon neutrality, but to reach carbon negativity. So we need to absorb more carbon that we are emitting as, as a planet. So that is, that is one point. Then uh, surely there are uh, uh, species uh, and ecosystem type uh, that are going to be more impacted by climate change. Uh, and at those kind of ecosystem where we have uh, species that are characterized by a preference or uh, a niche which is limited to cold water or cold uh, ecosystem climate that are extreme in the northern and southern part of our planet. And they are going to be surely affected more than other. But then the species uh, will move uh, from uh, south, uh, southern to northern latitude. And then they're going to create uh, different conditions. They're going to uh, impact uh, food webs. Uh, they're going to uh, impact uh, on uh, a number of processes uh, that we have uh, inside the ecosystems and we, we could have effect. One macroscopic effort that we are going to have now is related not uh, to species range change, but uh, to temporal activity change. It is uh, pollination. So there is uh, a huge decrease in terms of pollinators, a huge decrease in the density of pollinators. And part of this decrease is surely related to the fact that uh, while pollinators uh, during the year uh, regulate their period of activity uh, is uh, by photoperiods from the length of the day, then plants are regulating their uh, life cycle according to temperature. So plants are flowering earlier than pollinators uh, are in condition to make their job in at least at some latitude. And then it's creating a lot of problems and it's going to be a decrease for biodiversity. So it's very interesting. Just to explore uh, a little more in detail this issue, uh, what's your opinion, the most important impacts of climate change on ecosystem functioning and living organisms? Well, there are two aspects that we are considering uh, uh, relating uh, biodiversity and uh, biological diversity, which is basically the same word, but uh, a bit more restricted for some respect, uh, and climate change. Uh, species are uh, changing their niche, they are moving on the planet, uh, they are uh, uh, actually, there's uh, some alteration in their life cycle, and that is uh, a component which surely is important. But there's a component which is uh, probably more important uh, in order to uh, actually regulate uh, the functioning of uh, the planet and also the overall biomass that can uh, be hosted by our planet, which is uh, the direct influence of uh, climate change and particularly global warming on uh, individual metabolism. So we know that uh, 
the individual metabolism is increasing with increasing temperature in the range of tolerance of species and general in, is increasing with increasing temperature. So it doesn't, but we don't expect that primary productivity is increasing with increasing temperature apart from the Arctic and Antarctic region, where increasing temperature is going to create longer period without ice and higher possibility to primary productivity. For all the other parts of our planet, so the equatorial, tropical and temperate, then primary productivity is limited by nutrient, is limited by water, is not limited by temperature. So this means that we expect to have a loss of biomass in our planet, which is going to be affecting uh, all type of ecosystem, uh, all uh, uh, group of species, and uh, probably for quite a long period. Uh, we don't have at the moment uh, a clear view, a, a, a deterministic picture on how large is going to be this loss. Uh, we have a number of evidences that, uh, for example, if we uh, estimate the impact of climate change and global warming uh, using the space from uh, Equator to the Pole uh, as a, a proxy, then uh, uh, in the aquatic ecosystem, the uh, body sites of all the marine species of many of, or most of the group of the marine species is going to decrease from the pole to the equator or is increasing from the equator to the pole, which means that uh, while increasing temperature, the overall size is decreasing. We have the same decrease on the terrestrial ecosystem, but with a lower significance level, because in water, basically, the food chain are on a growing biomass, so on species of larger and larger biomass. So the, the, the larger is eating the smaller, which is not the same that we have uh, in the terrestrial, in the terrestrial ecosystem. Uh, but, this could have been related also to other factors as the Bergman rule or, or other factors uh, affecting uh, individual body sites. And uh, there are also models uh, that uh, suggest uh, a decrease of uh, uh, net primary productivity in uh, river basin at the European level at about 25% at uh, 2,100. So if this kind of estimates are correct, then it will mean that we're going to have a loss of primary productivity in the planet that is more or less the 20% with the loss of ecosystem services and that we couldn't have an impact on our economy and on our social well-being since our economical success is depending on natural resources, is depending on biological diversity. So that I think is going to be one of the most critical impact of global warming on biodiversity and particularly on the relationship between biodiversity and ecosystem functioning. And can ecosystems limit major climate change impacts in your opinion? Well, that is uh, another uh, big, big issue. So what we can say is that, uh, of course, uh, ecosystem will not uh, manage uh, to uh, interfere directly with climate change because climate change are not manageable. 
they are simply occurring. But uh, uh, ecosystem could mitigate the increasing of uh, harshness of climate change by basically reducing uh, our uh, global emission of uh, carbon dioxide. So by absorbing more carbon dioxide than currently is, is happening. That is related to the terrestrial ecosystem, it's related to the aquatic ecosystem. There are some ecosystems as uh, the uh, transitional waters, uh, the boundary between terrestrial and, uh, and marine uh, ecosystem, which are tend to be a sink of carbon. And then they can play an important role. So these are also the wetland may play this role. And uh, uh, all kinds of uh, forests, particularly the uh, young forest, so the forest that's going to be replanted, uh, for example, in uh, all the Western country uh, after uh, previous uh, damages, then can absorbing carbon. When, uh, when the, the terrestrial ecosystem are reaching the climax, then uh, there is not any carbon absorption as a net carbon absorption. But in the growing phase, we are bringing some carbon in uh, in the organic matter and then it's something that uh, of course can give a contribution and can absolutely support uh, our attempt uh, to move uh, from uh, uh, carbon emission to carbon neutrality and carbon negativity so bringing back to 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 the living organism and to the organic matter the carbon that we have emitted so far so let's talk about rewilding. Rewilding has been proposed as at least a past solution for all these problems. It means protecting nature through habitat restoration and conservation while helping to tackle the climate crisis. Some say it's saving amazing benefit for biodiversity. But Prof, what exactly is this so-called rewilding process and is it really important? Rewilding could be extremely important uh, uh, and of course uh, can uh, support biodiversity, can uh, uh, support uh, the recolonization particularly of uh, uh, territories by species that have been uh, previously uh, occurring. Uh, there is something that we need to, to, to have clear. Uh, that rewilding has a risk. And the risk of rewilding is that uh, we could consider to solve the problem of biodiversity and uh, also to act uh, mitigating climate change by rewilding ecosystem in Western country and at the same time continue to destroy ecosystem all over in the tropical and equatorial uh, latitude. So uh, uh, that is something that will not help us. So it's going to make uh, our ecosystem uh, uh, beautiful. Uh, we can enjoy uh, biodiversity, but uh, at the global level uh, wouldn't be uh, really effective. So that that is something which is absolutely important. It's one of the limits uh, that we have uh, in uh, 
make a real and effective intervention on sustainable development. So we can do a lot on climate change because we perceive climate change at the sensorial level. So we realize that climate change is occurring. We see climate change. We perceive year after year and we know that it is happening. But it's not because we learn, it's not because uh, uh, I'm speaking in a podcast, because uh, it's a sensorial perception. Then we can know that uh, uh, our system is in a disequilibrium, that we are not reaching sustainable development, that we are far from sustainable development. We are uh, actually preventing sustainable development by having a consumption which is much more than what uh, our planet can supply to us, and that, that, that the consumption that we're having is harming biodiversity more than climate change. We can understand, we can listen to the podcast, we can uh, read the books, we can do a lot of things, but what is happening is far from our eyes. We never perceive what is happening uh, in uh, the tropical forest, what is happening in the equatorial forest, we don't perceive which are going to be the damages that we are doing far from where we are. And as far as the prices of the uh, of food or other material is not increasing because we have a lower cost of everything, then we will not perceive it's something that is far from us. But it's true. So that is... Uh, 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 that is absolutely important. So I'm sure that uh, I am not making the change with this discussion, but I hope that if someone is hearing uh, this uh, podcast and start thinking about that, and then can become uh, some so and tell to other people and then move this discussion, move this thinking as well as possible, then uh, we could make something. But we need to perceive that we are far from sustainable development, as we perceive that we are far from a climate equilibrium. Thank you very much, Alberto, for this insight and this perspective. So important. So we talk about uh, sustainable development. Um, roughly 190 countries committed to the CUMI Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework at the United Nations COP15 one year ago, and known as also the Convention on Biological Diversity 3430 target, it aims to protect at least 30% of the planet's land and ocean by 2030 in the hope of limiting global warming of 1.5 degrees. Will this goal make a meaningful difference in addressing biodiversity loss and climate change? Well, uh, uh... This effort is an important effort, and for sure it is done because uh, uh, scientists uh, uh, are convinced that uh, uh, this target will be important uh, to uh, actually mitigate uh, the impact of climate change and uh, particularly uh, start reversing the pattern of uh, increasing uh, global emission. Uh, it, it is surely important. Uh, we could do even something uh, uh, more advanced uh, and it's going to be to have uh, a, an overall protection of uh, biodiversity and ecosystem functioning independently of uh, 
the local definition of protected area because with climate change and with uh, progressive warming the current boundary of uh, the protected area will not be any more sustainable so the species are going to move and then we should probably readapt the uh, mapping of the protected area and do something more so what the, the step 30 per 30, 30 are 30, that is absolutely essential, but we need to be probably to make a step forward and to say that uh, there are a number of uh, considerations that are going to be done uh, at the United Nations level that is dealing with uh, uh, the uh, protection of the habitat and the habitat banking with uh, the principle of not traversal, that it means that we cannot uh, basically make anything that is going to reverse uh, natural capital with respect uh, to uh, human capital. So there are a number of actions that we have uh, at the global level, including uh, the uh, constitution that are giving uh, a legal entity to, to nature and to biodiversity that actually can do a lot, but again, that has to enter not only a framework of definition, but they, we need to have the implementing laws that are actually protecting the planet. And it's important. It's, it's a sort of uh, a process of uh, earth stewardship that we need to bring and put on our shoulder and then, uh, uh, then to, to be ready to pass to the shoulder to the younger people that can do much better than we did. Thank you, Alberto. And now uh, let's conclude our conversation focusing on Life for Cherik's role. As director of the service center here in Lecce, in your opinion, how do the tools and services offered by Life for Cherik can contribute to securing biodiversity? Uh, we have uh, uh, a, a really demanding mission. Uh, uh, our demanding mission is uh, basically to be able to build uh, uh, on the web uh, a research center which is open worldwide uh, where uh, uh, scientists, uh, early career scientists, uh, citizens from whatever in Europe, because it's an European research infrastructure, but whatever in the world, can uh, uh, knock a door and then enter and find out uh, a lab which is equipped uh, uh, to make possible for them to make their experiment, their uh, work, their study in order to deepen our knowledge on how biodiversity is maintained, on how biodiversity can be restored, to build a scenario on uh, how biodiversity is expected to change uh, at uh, 200 2100, how the uh, biomass is going to change. So to address all the major issues that we have uh, uh, at the moment uh, on uh, biodiversity and ecosystem, so which are the mission that we need to address for the future. And the fantastic things uh, of life of Charik and the, the additional responsibility and the mission, the vision that we have is that uh, we are open. We are open uh, uh, without any border. We are open to 
uh, every country, to every community, uh, is something that can be called uh, international equity or can be called uh, science diplomacy. So we can bring and build a research center for countries that has not the possibility to, to build physically. So that is, uh, uh, that is uh, a, a huge responsibility we have on our shoulder. Uh, we don't need to rush and uh, our potential users don't need to ask us more because uh, to build such a, a global research center on the web demands a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of consensus and also a lot of money. So we can build a step by step. But if you are listening to the podcast and you have a brilliant idea and you would like to address a key issue in ecology, we can now not yet have a door that you can knock, but then you can use our help desk and send us a message, enter in contact with us, and we will do our best in order to build the equipment that you need, of course, on the web, on data that are completely open access, completely fair, and that can be used and reused by all scientists. Thank you very much, Alberto, for this extended conversation. I think we have covered quite a lot of ground. Thanks also to our faithful listener. We hope the material presented in the podcast have helped to increase an understanding of the danger we are facing and how urgent is that we apply science-based knowledge to address this climate emergency. Thanks also to our producer, Fabrizio Lecce. We look forward to your continued support here on A Window on Science. <music>